Welcome to Dr. 3, a Hearthstone podcast dedicated to giving you explosive growth and climbing the standard rank ladder. I'm your host, Daring Alkaline, and along with me are my fellow hosts, Dragon Rider and Major Death. Let's go into last week's poll question, Mage. All right, last week's poll question. We asked, how much time do you think there should be between balance change announcements and their implementation? We had 41 votes. Thank you to all of you that voted. I really appreciate getting some good feedback on this. The winner was zero to two days. You want to see these changes made immediately. 43.9% of the votes said that. Uh, and then it goes down from there. 35, three to five days was 31.7. So a fair portion, almost a third, uh, liked uh, a weekend or so uh, to, to get ready. Uh, 19.5% said about a week, but only 4.9, just under five, said they need more than a week to get ready uh, for some balance changes. So uh, about what I figured, but at the same time, uh, I think I think it's I think it's interesting because I guess I thought there'd maybe be a few more people that would want three to five days, you know, have like a announcement on Monday and then it comes in on a Thursday or Friday or find out on a Thursday and get it the following Monday or Tuesday, that sort of thing. There was one comment from Volkai that said as a player, he's happy with zero to two days, but for competitors, organizers of major tournaments, such as the Masters, they deserve like a week's notice. So that that definitely makes some sense as well. Yeah, it, it does. It's kind of like that instant gratification where it's like, this is coming. Like I don't want to wait I, for it. I just want to Yeah, exactly. No, I hear you. I, I, I get it. I get the, like, wanting the instant gratification, but it's at the same point in time, I kind of like a little bit of time when it comes to this stuff, unless unless the meta's like Doom in the Tomb meta, then, like, I'm fine with just taking a couple days and just be like, all right, let me think about this, and, like, let me, let me mold the changes and figure out where I want to go with it after that, so... Alright, so next we are going to move on to the news for the week. So we are in week two of the Masquerade Ball. Um, the second legendary quest for three packs is available. Play 50 cards in any mode. Easy. Masquerade, yeah, exactly. Easy. It's just, can you play the game? Can you play like three or four games? Then you probably can get this one done and get three packs. So pretty high rate of return for something you were probably doing anyways. So the Masquerade Tavern Brawl begins Wednesday, October 7th. I have to say, I loved last week's Tavern Brawl because, like, making zombies was, like, one of my favorite things. And now I don't... I, I, last week, I didn't have to wait to turn six to play Rexar <laughs> and potentially not do it. It was just, like... It's, like, the best part of playing Deathstalker Rexar with, um, with the ability to just make cool wombo combo beast so and, and the the hero power costs zero so you could do it like right from the very first turn you just start making beasts and and, and they give you three mana yeah. so like it's it's pretty cool so i, I, I had fun with it your, the health to of both to 20. to 20 because yeah it's still i still ended up going forever it felt like because you're you're gonna find lifesteal beasts you're gonna find rush minions you're gonna find you know uh, the, there's also removal in the decks, um, so it just, I yeah, I thought that was a good change as well. Yeah, I I had a good time with it. So, all right, and then the Horseman Uther bundle still available through October twelfth. Um, then we have Ixars asked Twitter, "What would bring you back to Hearthstone?" Um, and we'll go ahead and link the tweet. It's the follow-up to the same question he asked about 18 months ago. Over 1,000 replies in the first 21 hours. Lots of suggestions and comments about all aspects of the game. And many do note that the changes Blizzards have been making in the last 18 months have helped. And I can—I mean, I kind of have been saying that like when we talk about things. like They've really made generally pretty friendly, player-friendly changes at every turn they have so um 
it feels good. I mean, it feels like it, it feels like what you're doing goes a lot farther now than it has in the past. So, um, I'm definitely a big fan of that. So, yeah, it, it's interesting reading over all the replies, and I I haven't gone through like all thousand of them necessarily, but you know, there's from like well-known streamers like dog and kibbler are replying to this all the way down to just your random person uh and i mean battlegrounds is in the game now and it wasn't 18 months ago so it's interesting seeing all the comments about battlegrounds in there and you know it's some of the same things that were there 18 months ago are still there things like the the cost to play and and, and things like that uh, a lot of comments about created by uh and that sort of thing. So there's definitely, uh, I, I feel like they took some of the things comments to heart from the first time. And, and I would imagine that some of this stuff, whether we realize it or not uh, going forward is, is, is something that's going to be something they're going to be thinking about and probably implementing. Yeah. Yeah. So, just, oh, oh go ahead, Don. I just wanted to add to that. Yeah. A lot of the comments that I was seeing did seem, uh, very good natured i'll just say it that way but uh like you know like you mentioned many of the changes that have made you know people are mentioning that the stuff that was brought up before has changed or has improved and it's also really good to see a lot of the hearthstone community kind of pointing out the positive things too because i think so especially on social media so much of it just seems to be negative and, oh, the game sucks. Oh, this is bad. This is terrible. So it is really nice to also have that thread and that people are pointing out, hey, this is good. This has changed. And it, I think it's also giving people kind of a, a perspective of like, hey, remember a year and a half ago, all those things that you were saying we wish we had and now we do have them? The game is like, getting better. More reasons, to, more reasons to play the game. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we have you know battlegrounds in the game and there's a new game mode coming yeah. probably in the next in the next couple months and so they still like... they did put in that uh i forget what it's called the their path or whatever they were showing uh we are getting achievements still too which is something that was brought up that they said that's coming they haven't announced it yet because that's part of one of the later phases but the, you know but it's, it's also good to see people kind of reflecting and pointing out that there has been a lot of good things because I feel like a lot of times it's always just so focused on the negative. So it's really good to see people being very constructive in their feedback as well. And that's been, that's been something really good to look at. I would recommend people take a look at some of the comments. Uh, and I would also recommend that if, it, if you're not playing the game as much as you used to, to potentially uh, reply and tell xr why because that's the kind of feedback that he's looking for so yeah definitely so on a more somber note firebat quits competitive hearthstone mm. so it's kind of kind of sad because he's been he's been a staple since i've been been watching competitive hearthstone so we'll uh link uh the tweet but uh to quote him, my competitive Hearthstone career is over. I want to thank everyone that supported me over the last seven years and the people running all the events that made it possible to compete. I never imagined it would last last this long. I feel truly blessed. He went into more detail on a Reddit post. So, um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I think I think everyone has the end of their run and like, Competitive Hearthstone's a very, uh, uh, very demanding thing to do. So, like, I can definitely understand wanting to uh, move on. And I mean, we've seen am amnesiacs, you know, head out, and you know, but you know, there'll be there are people to step up and step in, and that's kind of one of the nice things about the Grandmaster system is that there will be new players being highlighted every season. They'll three new additions every season. So at least um, the new faces will be exposed to the game. We'll get new blood. So um, definitely, definitely sad to see the first uh, world champion go, but I mean, always fun watching him play. And so it's not like he, you can't still watch it. Literally he was streaming battlegrounds earlier and he'll still be streaming Hearthstone. So it's like, it's not like he's disappearing 
from the face of the earth. He, you can still find him on Twitch and whatnot. So, um, yeah. So it's just kind of it's always sad to see something change that you like, but it's just look at the positive. I mean, he's he, Firebat's leaving, and maybe you'll find a new favorite player or a new streamer or something as a result for it. So. And the old adage. Oh, god. Oh, I was just gonna say, given the fact that he won the first world championship, I feel like he kind of has is the face of competitive Hearthstone. I mean, I know he took a break and and kind of came back when GM started. Uh, I, he wasn't competing as much and then kind of got back into it. But it it's so it is it it is sad to see that he's not going to be doing that. I'd love to see him cast if that was something he was interested in doing he's done that in the past uh he's still very knowledgeable about the game and and yeah as you said he's he's still going to be content creating uh i think it's going to diversify a little bit more uh so it's not just going to be hearthstone but uh yeah there's a a bit of a kind of an end of an era sort of thing when you think about it because it's it's like i said like you said he's the he's the first one and just kind of feels like whenever you talk to talk about competitive hearthstone uh he's a name that comes up yeah yeah for sure it's definitely it's definitely even though it doesn't affect me it's still a little bit sad end of an era kind of thing so all right so we have um blizzard released a client patch late last week for ios to fix battery drain and overheating issues the issue started after patch 18.4 so if you were getting overheating and battery issues, hopefully that is not happening to you anymore. Yeah. We don't want a Samsung phone issues. <laughs> there, there was a. I think it started like right away after after we finally got the patch on on the mobile devices, and there was a there was a thread on uh, in the forums about it. And they they knew about it right for. They talked about it right away on Twitter and and like within a uh, tour couple days they they got a, a patch out there so it was it was nice to see that was fixed uh, they didn't go into much detail as to what caused the problem but uh but yeah it, it's kind of scary when you do an update to your app and suddenly it can do things like that to a phone yeah some something's causing the i mean really if you think about it really the only thing it could possibly be is that it's some process is just causing the the CPU just stay. I, I assume this is what it is. I assume it's some process that keeps the CPU usage up real high, which would a drain your battery and b continue oh, to yeah. overheat your phone. So it's something that just wouldn't let go of the the processor. So it makes it that makes sense to me. So I mean, yeah, they don't really have an option but to fix that. <laughs> like I said. <laughs> No one wants another Samsung phone incident, and uh, they're they're not gonna do that. But yes, it's it's great to see them listen to the community. I mean, that's great about the community. So they were able to tell Blizzard immediately, and they get someone on it, and it's it's fixed in a day or two. So that's a very cool thing. So something else very exciting from Blizzard listening to people: new voice lines coming for Scholar Jaina and Horseman Uther. Um. So Scholar Jaina and Horseman Uther will both receive new voice lines in the future. Uh, there are future heroes that will sim- sim- similarly not have custom voice lines. These will also be addressed in a future patch. Uh, Post says they wanted to add skins for the classic heroes to allow more visual customization, but they failed. They <coughs> excuse me, but say they failed. Um, I just lost my place. Failed in explaining the difference between these and alternate hero portraits. So I wonder I wonder now if they'll go back and resell Scholar Jaina. Not that they're going to have alternate voice lines because I have to assume there were a bunch of people who didn't buy it because like uh, there's no alternate voice lines and like it's just an alternate picture. So no, I don't want it. Yeah, I, so. they did. They haven't gone into any detail on that, and it 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 totally makes sense what they're talking about. That that they wanted to give you basically another, uh, like the Thousand Wind portrait. They wanted to give you another visual portrait skin, uh, 
but their intention was that it was going to keep the the emotes the the same and all the other aspects of the hero were to remain the same and, and it was just supposed to be a new look for the hero and but but when they've charged for you know when they've charged for these sorts of things in the past it's been a full-on alternate hero portrait that had emotes had voice lines all that sort of thing and and so it i i like the idea of what they were trying to do and i think if they would have done a better job of explaining it and i think honestly if the price point would have been a little bit different i think people would have been good with that but um yeah it'll be interesting to see if they try and go back into the doing just the skin uh uh change and and giving us the opportunity to do that in the future as, as well yeah I was going to say, yeah, like precedence would tell you that anytime they're selling a hero portrait, like the ones that you unlock are always the same voice line, but they have never sold a hero portrait before Scholar Jaina that didn't have different voice lines, like that weren't different emotes. So it's kind of shocking that it would be, um, especially for the full 10 bucks. Yeah, I know you get, you get, five card packs i mean that's not exactly a a snag of a deal with a just an alternate art portrait in my mind so right, right. That's, so that's what but I'm saying. i think like the yeah price point has to be a little bit different too because yeah the, the, i mean it i when you sell these bundles with this new portrait only at the same price you were selling the alternate heroes for I think there's an insinuate, uh, you know, an assumption made that they're the same thing. Even even if the one did not come with card backs, the alternate heroes did not come with card packs. They came with a card back, but they did not come with card packs. And and so it's, it, I think if they, I think I think if they did this something like this and they did it for like five bucks or something, I think people would be more receptive to it, and, and people would know exactly what they were getting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I bought the the uh, Horseman Uther bundle because it was just a really good deal. Like, I, if they would have sold that to me, they could have sold that bundle to me without the hero portrait, and I would have spent the twenty five dollars on it anyways. Yeah, so you're, like you're getting a good deal on the packs. And the, yeah, the, the, the a free legendary and a free legendary, and the 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 portraits kind of just uh, bonus. Uh, I will tell you that I was on the fence about whether or not I wanted to get the Horseman Uther bundle, uh, but because it's going to get voice lines, I did buy it because I I I liked it, but I didn't know if it, I wanted it enough as it was. But now that they're going to do that, it's like, well, now I definitely want it because I do want an actual Horseman uh, portrait. Yeah, that's gonna be it's gonna be cool. So, all right. Uh, Alternate uh, Fire Mage Dana released by artist on Instagram. It's a post from Glenn, Glenn Rain. I think that's how you say it. After two years, I'm finally able to post this one. Fire Mage Dana created for Hearthstone. This one was meant to be the alternate hero artwork, but the HS team decided to go a different direction. Prints available uh, available on his website, glennrain.com. So... The portrait's pretty cool, I, I have to say. And, you know, we're talking about portraits and things like that. Not not a huge thing as far as, like, doing well on the ladder. It's full, full just cosmetics. But this was uh, definitely, I feel like, a little bit darker Fire Mage Jaina. Um, and it looked really cool. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, they commission ended up commissioning more than one artist to do this alternate portrait and then they decided to go with one over the other so i imagine they did that with a lot of them too just because they're like you know it makes sense especially for their like hallmark characters you know they're the the real the you know any of the hero portraits any of the the 10 that you have, if they're going to do alternate portraits, I assume they're going to want a few different looks before they pick out which one, because you never, I mean, that, that portrait, that, that, uh, 
alternate art's beautiful, but it's different and maybe a little darker than yeah. what they had intended to be Jaina because I, I assume yeah, I mean it's Jaina. Jaina's not exactly she has she has some some troubles, but she's not exactly supposed to be like a real dark character. So that might give a different impression. It's crazy. I I was just going to say real quick. I love uh, while I like this, this new version of Fire Mage Jaina, I still think the other, the one they did go with is actually one of the best thousand wind portraits there is. Oh, hands down. So it's not like they got it wrong or anything by picking the one they did. It's just, I don't know. I, I like the character to begin with. And so seeing more, interpretations of her i think is is amazing to see yeah i actually hadn't seen this until we started talking about it so while you guys were talking i pulled it up and i'm just like "Ooh, i like this a lot uh but yes like you guys said it is it's a little darker um i think when i see this i imagine this would be a character that you'd see in magic is it, it's like jaina but like um a magic gathering artist almost as uh, how I'm kind of looking at this. So yeah, maybe a little bit dark for kind of the game and the direction that they have taken that and kind of the lighter aspects, but this is still really cool looking. I like this a lot. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. So it's not like you said, mage it's, it's 100%. It's like, do I want this pile of gold or do I want this pile of gold? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, they had uh, a, a tough choice. I would have had a, a tough choice picking between the two if, if, if it would have been, you know, my decision. But uh, so they guess, I guess they couldn't have gone wrong there. Exactly. So, okay. Well, that is it for the news for the week. So... Now we are going to move on to our main topic, and this week we are talking about asking questions. What kind of questions will we be asking? Let me ask my (laughs) co-host. See what I did there? Questions. You're just a master of master of ceremonies. What can I say? Dragon Rider. Uh, Yeah, that was a very, very clever lead in. Let's. uh... Yes. Maybe you will go ahead and take a look now at our questions. Okay, I know, I'm not good at that. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we've kind of been talking about this a little bit off and on for the last couple of weeks, but then we ended up having the the nerfs and the big patch and all that uh, go through, so we decided to go with that. But I guess I'm going to start by asking you guys... Uh, how have questions helped you improve? How have asking questions helped you guys improve? Um, it makes me more conscious of how I'm playing with um, knowledge of what my opponent wants to do, um, what potential outcomes are, what what I can look to be drawing, like making calculated decisions based on the constants that I know, what's in my deck, what can be generated, what I can do, what, what options I can pull, and what my uh, chances are of pulling certain things. So, like, I feel like just... Knowing knowing some basic things about your deck, some basic percentages, and then you can use that to ask yourself, well, if I do this, what happens? Like what am what am I gonna do next turn? What am you know, what's my opponent gonna do? Those kinds of things. So it kind of helps you play to the best of your ability and um you know, try and isolate your best moves. I think I think the question or I think the thing I've gotten most about asking questions is it makes me slow down and it makes me think and it makes me engage with what I'm doing or what I'm not autopiloting when I'm when I'm asking questions but we're talking about the questions you're asking yourself throughout the game is is what this is and so if if you're asking yourself questions I think you improve because you're you're 
fully paying attention. You're you're doing the you're thinking about the things you need to think about when you're playing. You're you're uh, you know problem solving all that sort of thing. And you're if you're like me, you slow down and 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 don't and could potentially um, not misplay and things like that when you when when you're asking yourself questions yeah absolutely i think uh to answer my own question for myself one thing that's really helped me is i generally am a player who i struggle when things change so when we get new expansions different things like that i really struggle i do much better when the meta is a little more stale the decks are the same i know exactly what to expect and part of that kind of is that autopilot like you mentioned but I don't have to think through all of that stuff when the meta is the same and I, I know what to expect. So asking myself these common questions that won't change helps, helps me kind of focus on, okay, this is what I know about the game. How can I apply that now to this new situation? How can I keep thinking about these same questions over and over, even though the cards might be different or the deck styles or the deck itself is different, but, I'm taking these base questions and improving on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's go ahead and start at the beginning of the game. What questions are you asking yourself for the first thing you do, which is the mulligan? So uh, I know me personally, the the thing I am thinking from the second I get queued up is, okay, what's my opponent's class? So, you know, if you have a good idea of the meta at this point in time, you probably have a good idea of what your opponent's going to bring. Um, you know, shaman's a anomaly because. <laughs> Wait, um, shaman. What? It's a class in Hearthstone. I okay. I know you may be a little unfamiliar with it, it's, it's but people while. used to play it's, it. It's been a while. Yes, I'm familiar now. now that <laughs> so the the question of your mulligan and it starts with what your opponent is playing. Um, you ask yourself, what does my matchup look like? Um, is this a favored matchup? Is this unfavored matchup? Um, and you have to just kind of like, for example, if you queue into a warrior, you can probably assume that he's going to be playing bomb warrior. Then now there, there are outliers when somebody's playing big warrior or if somebody's playing um, like a pain warrior. But you can probably safely bet that they're playing warrior. So if you have any weapon disruption in your deck, how does that? Do you need that to have a good matchup against them? Do you do you have to hard mulligan for that that removal? Um, what does it? What does bombs in your your deck mean to you and to your game plan. So it's just, just really starting out and figuring out once you see what your opponent is, how do you mulligan to make the matchup better for you? If it's a good matchup or how do you try and win those unfavorable matchups? So, um, like I said, what cards what cards do you need to find that will help you in those unfavorables is what the question I'm asking. Does it does it change if you have the coin? Does 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 your mulligan change if you have the coin or not? So I'm trying to think of an example on that one. Um I mean it's just if where and when you're coining things out and what your plan is and what your ideal is. Is it, are you looking for something to do on turn four? Um, dropping a five drop or dropping a combination of cards on turn four to punish or to like do something against your opponent that's very strong that they might have a hard time coming back from that early in the game? Is it as, as early as um, I'm playing against a uh, face hunter 
And I know that controlling the tempo in the early game is everything. So, like, me having the coin makes it that I, I'm going to hold on to this two drop that will impact the board immediately. Or I'm going to hold on to two one drops because I know I'm going to coin out two one drops on turn one to, to fight for the board as hard as possible. Um, yeah. I, think, I think, like, Rogue is definitely a class that I think about this a lot. What you keep... On the on the coin versus on the play is is different. Things like the uh, the the evil miscreant suddenly become a lot better. Things like Edwin become a lot better. Things like the hook scimitar, all, all of those sorts of things suddenly uh, it it sort of kind of expands what you can keep in the mulligan and and want to play in the early game because of combo activation as well as just some of the power plays that you can do in the deck kind of rely on whether or not you have the coin or not. So, so that, that's a, that's a good class. The, you know, obviously when we're talking about phase stalker and Hunter, having the, having the coin suddenly means phase stalkers a little bit easier to play earlier because you can coin out the hero power and potentially get a secret in there right away. So th things like that, those, those are, those are cards that, you know, are good probably on their own, but they suddenly become even better or they might work a little bit differently if you have the coins. So there might be some different considerations to think about there. I also think even um, if your opponent has the coin, then also, you know, considering what they could do with that coin. And does that change the cards you want to keep as well? Uh, could, could definitely be something to think about. So that's also something to ask yourself when you're looking at whether you have the coin or not. So next we are going to look at each turn. So um, we'll just kind of talk about these because I think these um, are very important to like go into a bit more. So what do I need to draw um or do from a random effect so like this is the chance part of the turn like what is i know most of the time going into my turn i i stop and ask myself what is the ideal draw for this turn what am i what did i set up for that would be great or it just you know what what the state of my board or the state of my opponent's board what is the most ideal thing for me to get and if I don't draw it, what do I need to generate to make um, an impact or do what I want to do on the board? So, like, and this isn't obviously all classes, but, like, certainly, I mean, there are a lot of, well, there's a lot of things like that for, like, Hunter. What What is the secret I want to come off of my face stalker? Uh, Rogue, what cards am I looking for in the secret passage? Um, you know, priest, Sethic Veil Weaver, Mage, just Mage. <laughs> you know, what what do I want? If I play Evocation, what am I looking for? If I'm if I'm mana cycling, what it, what are the ideal outcomes for that? I mean, those are those are obviously things that are much harder to predict. Like, but I, I think like the questions are a bit more grounded when you look at like rogue and uh, rogue and um, uh, hunter and even like warrior. What weapon do I want? I'm, I have a corsair cache in my hand. What weapon am I aiming to draw with it? Um, I play shield block. What what card is a good card for me to draw next? Um, so like those kind of questions are what going through my hand when I look at this one. The thing I think about specifically with this, because I am kind of terrible at this, is do I life tap this turn? Do Am I going to have two mana left over so that I can draw a card with life tap? And if I am, I need to do that first because it can completely change the, the turn. And, and, you know, there's always the the meme about drawing last and all that sort of stuff. But it, it really is like determining if you need to draw cards 
and doing that first and how that and because ultimately a, a lot of times uh, especially like uh i think about like these mana cyclone turns and uh and that you there's a lot of moving parts and so like you want to you want to try and give yourself the most amount of time to make the decisions that you need to make and so identifying if you need to draw cards and doing it quickly and then doing the thing that you need to do to draw those cards like arcane intellect or cram session or any or life tap or whatever uh figuring out if you need to do that and then doing it so then you have as much time as you possibly can to actually go through the rest of your turn and asking some of these other questions we're going to talk about is really important yep and animations can take a while so you know if you're using yeah, if you're using secret passage to draw some cards keep in mind that the animation does take a little bit so yeah you you want to be thinking about those things and and quickly like mage mentioned because you also have to consider that so figuring that out is very important So next question we have written down here is what plays will play into my game plan the best? So it kind of is going into planning out your turn. Um, like Mage said, like one of the good questions, like do I have the mana to, ma to life tap here? And if I draw like... What card am I looking for, and if I draw it, how does that change? Or like, how do how does my turn change if I draw X, Y, and Z? So like, that's, that's those are all very good questions to ask. It's just you know, what how do you how, you have so many mana a turn? How do I how do I utilize that to my benefit and knock out the best turn that I can do? Um, that advances my game plan. And, and, and the thing of it is, it, it's weird because this question actually can vary from game to game, hand to hand, deck to deck. Obviously, there are matchup to matchup too. Ma matchups as well. Uh, there, there are decks like, say, Pure Paladin, where it feels like, at least, uh, if you're thinking about some of the early turns in Pure Paladin where these are pretty straightforward questions. I like goody two shields on three. I, I probably want to play the, the oh god, the 4-2 that gives you the true silver champion. Uh, Lightforge Zealot. Lightforge Zealot. And then the uh, the Aldor, the five mana Aldor with taunt that reduces your Librams uh, on five. And so there are, there are certain decks like Pure Paladin where those are pretty straightforward and Game to game, you're probably those are the plays that you're going to try and make if you can on the, at those respective mana levels. But there are there are definitely other decks. Uh, you know, Cyclone Mage is a good example. When do you when do you decide to make that big Sorcerer's Apprentice turn and that sort of thing? And how, how do you set up the 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 turn or when do you decide that that's the turn to do that and and then how does that look and you know what spells do i need in order to really do that sort of thing so it's it's uh the that that question is is very interesting and very i i think key to think about um through definitely every turn so the next question is the big one trade or go face and that's the question that's going to, <laughs> it's going to, that, that one's going to get you and you are going to answer that question wrong a bunch of times, but that's okay. That's how you learn. Um, and just because you don't win or something bad happens to you because of it, that does not mean you made the wrong decision. It's just, you have to kind of uh, peer at the board and feel like, like some of the questions you ask is like, is um, is my opponent going to trade this off for me? Like if your opponent's playing the slower deck and they have a piece on the board that's like or a um, a card on the board that's going to cause you some problems, but you have something that's going to cause them problems. Are they going to trade it off? Like are they going to, like is it 
benefit you to go to face and make them make that trade. Um, so that's kind of those those questions are knowing and guessing when your opponent is going to make those trades for you. So like that's that's a big one for me. And like, can I race? Am I going to kill them in two turns? You know, those kinds of things. Like, how fast can I do this? And is does it benefit me to ignore their board? Well, if they have no healing, then maybe. You know, like, if you're playing against priests, do I want to potentially leave up a target for um, Apotheosis? So, like, those are, like, I mean, if you're playing any sort of, like, aggressive deck, I feel like that's a question you have to ask yourself anytime you have police, uh, playing against priests. Like, do, do I have the resources to not leave a minion up to play Apotheosis while being efficient with my da- damage? So. Yeah, I think the trade versus going face ties in a lot to the other questions. And I think you probably will be able to make the, I'm going to say quote unquote, correct decision about trading or going face. If you're asking yourself the other questions, if you're asking yourself something about that, yeah, am I playing a more aggressive deck where my game plan is to push this face damage and... The only way that I lose is if they get a huge apotheosis minion and all of the damage that I've done is worthless or I don't have enough damage in my deck to live through that, then maybe it is worth trading at that point. But if you're not asking yourself the other questions and you're just looking black and white, do I trade or go face, you're not really giving yourself all of the information as well either that's probably when it leads you down that path of, well, I probably should not have traded there or, you know, yeah, I, I shouldn't be hitting face. I should have killed that minion. It's really easy at the end of the game to say, you know, I should have gone face or, you know, I should have traded, but at the time, yeah, you just do the best you can with the knowledge that you have, the hand that you have, the, game state and then and then yeah there'll be some questions afterwards where where you can think about that but yeah the trading or going face is literally probably a topic uh an entire main topic just on its own and it gets discussed a lot but yeah and it's definitely one of those things that you can look back with results oriented thinking and being like I, I always think this, like, you can make the wrong play and win the game, and you can make the right play and lose the game. So, focusing on making the correct play, uh, the better play, um, is probably better spent mental energy than did I lose, did I make, did I win or lose the game? Because you're going to win more games when you're making better decisions. So, like, you may the classic adage of you lost the battle, but you can win the war, you know, kind of thing. Like you can get better overall by making these these better decisions, and like like you guys said, like just making the informed decision of trade or face. So, looking a few turns ahead. How does this turn impact the next few turns? So, like, uh, before the show started, Mage was talking about Soul uh, Soul Fragment Demon Hunter. And this is definitely seems like the easiest way to look at it is just, just one of the easiest examples to go to is just because, well, the things I want to do with this deck requires to have Soul Fragments in the in my deck. How do I play? How do I play to that? Like, what do I, you know, where am I dropping my spirit jailers, my soul shears, and my marrow slicers? I haven't played a lot of this deck, so Mage, you should probably speak to that probably a little bit more. No, no, you, you, you're, you're dead on. And, and actually, I think where I started learning this, uh, a better was actually playing aggro decks because. You literally have to use every mana every turn and be as efficient as possible playing those decks because there's very little room for of error when it comes to you know just getting minions on the board, getting getting face damage in, and usually there's a tightrope that has to be walked between getting lethal or not getting lethal, and and so thinking about 
you know, if how do how do my next few turns line up? And and I and I think about do you play the three drop this turn because it does something for you even though you've got four mana, or do you or do you save it and you play uh, something else? because you can play the three drop with a two drop the following turn. And so thinking about mana utilization, thinking about what what it is you're you're trying to do, what are you trying to set up? Do I need to get soul fragments into the deck so I can do an AoE against an aggro deck? Though those are the sorts of things that you that you have to think about and and you know there's uh, you know, setting up weapons, different different things like that. Uh, for card draw, like when we were playing the the stealth aggro rogue, you needed to make sure you had a stealth minion on the board in order to get uh, card draw with the Greyheart Sage. And so, it's thinking about you know not just this turn, but how does this turn then affect what I'm doing next turn or the turn after? And and I when you when you start getting, I think good at the game you can clearly see how the the effects of what you're doing this turn affect what you're doing the next couple turns irregardless of what you end up pulling uh off the top of your deck in the next couple turns yeah i think another few examples of trying to set up as well are like in bomb warrior uh, making sure that you're actually attacking and putting bombs in if you're trying to set up for playing blastmaster boom to get the boom bots uh, as well as if you're playing a deck that plays Pulk Kelt, like making sure that you're you're setting up, can I play Pulk Kelt this turn? Do I need to do something else this turn? And I can I'm okay to play Pulk Kelt next turn to draw into those other later game or those other tools that I need from that. So, just thinking about how your turn now, what you're doing, are you attacking with that weapon? Are you going for the Pulk Kelt? Are you you know? Are you playing something that puts those soul fragments in your deck so that next turn you can play lapidary? You know, what what is it that you're looking to do the next few turns? Because that does impact the current turn as well. I do think Polkel is super it, it you can ask a lot of interesting questions with Polkel, because it's like, am I okay with not getting my one drops? Until like basically saying I'm not going to see any more one drops for the rest of the game. Um, can you end it? Do you need those one drops? Are they impactful? There's just a lot of um, interesting things. I mean, he was being used in Turtle Mage, but now I think it's pretty much just a few different a few different decks. But it is a very interesting question on like knowing what's in your deck and how how. You know, you can pick, you know, what cards are going to be coming off the top of your deck and how that affects you. So I love that card. It's a very, I think that's a very cool design of a card. So then what does my opponent want to do? What do I want to do? How do I get uh, punished for doing something that I may want to do? Um, Example for that, just off the top of my head, it's like, well, it's uh, my opponent has more than eight mana, and they're playing priest. Well, there's Mur. You know what? What do I give my opponent if they play Murzon? Or there's a rogue secret up. I played a minion. I played a spell. It didn't go off yet. So you know, <laughs> you know, going into a turn, that's one of the more difficult secrets to to work around now is uh, plagiarize. Like you see a, a mage or a rogue put up a secret. Um, how many cards am I willing to give them to do something about this, the, the state of their board this turn? Um, and then there's the old, old classic of, is it counterspell <laughs> or is it freezing trap? I mean, like, you know, so those are like the, the, what does my opponent want to do with, you know, something I'm using secrets right now as a, uh, as a very easy correlation because, something you do affects it so um but you know just you know what what are they planning to do what they have managed to do can they punish you for playing something like is your did you go super wide when your opponent has five mana well are they gonna brawl you um did you do they have do they have like probably at least three mana left over are they gonna blade storm you like what think about remove like i'm just 
honing in on removal right now as like ways for you to get punished but like leaving an empty board uh going into like a big turn like uh you know not putting anything to pressure your opponent into turn seven and they're playing hunter does dino tamer brand come down and just punch your face in for no because you didn't you know you know you're not putting any pressure on your opponent you know just so there's just a million different times of like you know what does my opponent want to do and how do i avoid playing into what they want to do yeah and then i think the next question kind of ties into that but it's almost the opposite so have they had the opportunity to do something like what you were just mentioning that they have opportunities to play those brawls or do a big swing turn and they haven't yet Uh, because if they haven't and they've had two, three, four turns to do that, then it's very likely means that they don't have it. And maybe that's a point where you can say, okay, I I really don't think they have it. And you can kind of flip that switch and push damage or, you know, whatever it is that you need to be doing for your game plan. Uh, but recognizing what they can do, what's the best for them, and recognizing when they aren't doing that and asking, okay, well, if they haven't, is this... Is this when I turn the game in a different direction then? What I like to think about uh, when it comes to what do my opponents want to do is like, what can I do that's still kind of within my game plan that makes making them want to change what they want to do? Like, you know, when you think about it, Typically, that ends up being putting pressure on your opponent, right? If you put pressure on your opponent, suddenly your opponent has to think, well, do I have time to do the best play I can do this turn? Or do I have to do some half measure uh, that involves some sort of removal or something like that, that suddenly kind of delays what they're attempting to do? And and, and so there's... Uh, Definitely some, some decks allow you to do that. Some, some decks, maybe that's a little bit more of a luxury uh, to do. But, but I, I think that uh, dis- being able to potentially disrupt your opponent and what they're trying to do by doing, you know, putting on pressure or, or making, making it really easy for you to maybe remove the minion that they want to play uh, suddenly, suddenly gets really, really attractive uh as as an option to play that turn all right um so and then finally uh during your turn do i need to play my cards or do trades in a certain order um do i need board space to do things that i want to do um is there certain things that go if I trade and I'm counting on spell damage um if I trade my spell damage minion whoops that trade doesn't work anymore and now I'm just sitting here going oh well um just thinking of like random things that um come up that you just you just have to focus on the ordering on what you're doing and ask yourself like well, if I'm trying to mana cyclone and I kill all my uh, opponent's minions, but I still have like three rays of frost in my hand that I was looking to get out and and put into the mana cyclone, uh, can I afford to kill my own minions to, to make that work or freeze my minions? Something like that. Just like, how do I order my trades in a certain way? I'm tra- I'm trying to think on something on your opponent's side of things um or just attacking in trading figuring out secrets again um i think that's like definitely one thing that uh, you know if secrets are up what what are the possibility for my opponent's secrets like i think that's another thing that you have to think about too that plays into this question just because like if i attack in and it's a flame ward or an explosive trap. What does that mean? If it's if it's a you know ice barrier, what does that mean? If it's freezing trap, what does that mean for me? If I play a minion, and it's 
Um, ambush, what does that mean for me? So just a bunch of different questions, looking at the opponent's board and figuring out how does how do I order that and what is the best sequence to play things and like make sure you play things in a in, in order that set you up to give you the best chance of success on your turn. There's definitely mechanics to doing to doing trading and playing your cards and and some some decks it matters a lot more than others, but you definitely something to keep in mind is do I need to do these in a in a specific order to get the effects that I want? Yeah, like one thing I just really thought of real quick was like if you're playing Librum Paladin, how do you chain down uh, the Librum of uh, Wisdom? Because you can you can literally if you have a wide board you can literally just start trading things in and keep getting the Librum of uh, Wisdoms back, so you could keep buffing things up to take down a bigger minion. Or and then like that works like two another thing is like the broom. Like how do you make the biggest board you can to swing and like if you don't leave a spot open for the broom, then all of a sudden your big turn your your master plan to, to swing back and have that big swing turns out the window because you played that one extra minion. Like something came into your hand, you're like, Oh my god, like I drew a card and now I can play this minion too, or like I played, I played, uh, you know, something like I played Overflow, and I got six spots on the board, and now I have this Anubisath Defender after a bunch of portals. I play that, and that's like, oh, oh, I was, I was planning on, <laughs> you know, doing, you know, things like that. So, yeah, um, blades, blade storm ordering. You know, how do I trade to set up the ideal blade storm for myself? Or you know, bar off or Doctor Boom. Yeah, just I'm just going off random things off the top of my head. Yeah, well, you know, I think talking about trading, I think actually kind of leads into our next thing because sometimes it's really easy to focus on the board and how you make those trades or what you need to be doing, but instead you need to be focusing on lethal. And honestly, myself, I think I start watching lethal in most games like five six turn five six if, unless it's an aggro deck sometimes it's even turned like three four in an aggro deck uh and that's because i am preparing myself as much as possible and we have a few questions in the lethal category so that is be checking for your own lethal constantly do i have lethal or a lethal potential uh, is there a way that i can get lethal this turn does my opponent have the chance for lethal and how can i set up two turn lethal so I like to count damage very, very often. And that's because sometimes you get way too focused on the board or doing something fancy or, okay, if I draw, I can find this and, you know, or I can trigger this spell, you know, spell damage thing, or I can trigger a death rattle and this will happen when really it's just looking at, oh, wait, hey, I have 10 damage on board and five from my hand and they're at 15. I can just kill them. So... I, I don't know. For me personally, asking lethal constantly and pretty early is something that I like to do. I should. Re I I do not think about lethal as early as you do. I should probably start doing that, especially if I'm playing aggro decks. the the uh, The clock to get to lethal should be a lot sooner. That, but it and. To me, there's nothing worse than hitting the end turn button and then realizing that you had lethal had you actually asked that question and, and thought about it like, do I have it or did I have it with what's in my hand or did I have it by doing something simple and, and can get there? So It's cer certainly one of those things that when you realize you've missed it and you end the turn when you could have ended the turn with your opponent dead, it feels bad. And that kind of, uh, throws you off. It definitely is one of those things that even though you, you win, because there are a lot of times you, you do win still from that position, but you can lose. So it's, it's definitely frustrating and like can like throw the mental game off. So, yeah, lethal's definitely one of those things that 
it's easy to get distracted away from, but um, no matter what your strategy is, um, no matter what type of deck you're running, if your opponent goes to zero, you win the game. <laughs> so, and that is first and foremost kind of the goal of things is to you know see your opponent's portrait blow up exactly like that's that's your goal no matter what um occasionally there are decks that their goal is to make your opponent rage quit and i'm usually playing those ones <laughs> the head shake from mage <laughs> So, you make it hard to like you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'll make it even hard. I like playing Priest, so oh. I... So after the game, you could ask yourself a few questions. Uh, first and foremost, did I make a mistake that cost me the game? There, There's definitely... When you lose, it seems really easy to ask yourself questions about, about what you did. Uh, I think a great question is, what are the good choices that I made to help me win the game. We, we, we don't, we aren't critical enough or risk or I, I, me personally, I guess I'm not reflective enough in the games that I win to think about the things that I did to help me get that win. Right. What, what are the key, what are the key decisions that I made that helped me win this game? What, what was the, what were the, what were the turning points, that sort of thing? What, what, what did I do that, that, that I should think about so that if I'm in that position again, uh, I'll be able to, I'll be able to replicate that. Uh, what could I do differently in future games that that's, uh, you know, usually it comes from the big mistake or the good decision that you're making. Uh, I personally need to ask, do I need to take a break because I'm tilting? That is, uh, that's important. That is a thing that, uh, can definitely happen and and you should definitely keep tabs on that and then do i need to review games share with others to get feedback there's so many things that you can learn by by getting by reviewing your games or getting feedback from others and uh there's if 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 you come across a game or a decision or something and you're not sure how you should have handled it then this is definitely something to 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 think about and then and then probably do yeah i think uh you you kind of spoke to it already but yeah it's it's really easy when you lose games to be reflective of okay i messed that up i messed that up or even during the game like well that was a misplay or yep i just missed lethal and didn't think about that but i i think for the majority of people reflecting on your games is something that really does help that just not a lot of people really seem to do. Uh, and, you know, going back and looking, maybe you save the replay from, you know, if you have a deck tracker up, save your replay, go back to it like a couple of days later, even watch, watch a couple of games from a few days ago, because then it's, it, it's kind of out of your mind by then. And then you can actually look at it kind of from a third person view almost. So you're reflecting and asking yourself, wow, would I have done this if, you know, if I were thinking more clearly or, you know, why did I make that play? Maybe that was just a mistake. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't focused or whatever it is. And analyzing all of those questions together and reflecting on, on that overall will help you out in more games over the long run. I like to ask myself after a pre-smear, what could I have been done doing with the past three years of my life <laughs> in that during that one game that I was playing? <laughs> I, I think do you guys I, hit. Do I need to go shave potentially? Uh, I mean, I doubt if my kids have grown up. That sort of thing. I find I find usually I do need to take a shower after most pre-smears because I feel so <laughs> dirty. <laughs> And yes, I do need to shave, but uh, no, I think you guys covered everything. I'm just, I thought I'd uh, have a little fun with that, that riff at the end there. So, all right. Well, I think we are over the hour mark. So I think this is probably a good point to wrap it up. So uh, Mage, you want to go over this week's poll question? Sure. So we just got done talking about some of the questions that we ask ourselves during 
a game of Hearthstone. We'd like to know from you, how often are you asking yourself questions while playing Hearthstone? Are you doing it every turn? Are you doing it once every few turns? Are you doing it when you remember to do it? Or are you not asking yourself questions? Not at all. I'm not asking myself questions. I'm just going. So that that's the question. We'd love to get your feedback. Let us know. Vote. Tell us how often you're asking yourself questions. And we will talk about the results on next week's show. Speaking of the show, you can find the show on Twitter at Dr3HS. You can find our Discord by going to our Twitter and checking out our top pin tweet. And if you'd like to email the show with feedback or any future topics like you'd like to hear discussed, you can reach out to us at Dr3HS at gmail.com. And you can find myself on Twitter at DaringAlkaline. Uh, Dragon Rider? You can find me on Twitter at DonnieDK. That's D-A-W-N-I-E-D-K. And on Twitch, twitch.tv slash DragonRiderDK. And Mage, take us home. Sure, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at MageAdeath. And Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash MageAdeath. All right, guys. Well, thank you for sticking with us and talking about what kind of questions you're going to be asking yourself during game Hearthstone. And as always, you've been listening to Dr. Three. Is this bomb going to blow up? Boom. Boom. <laughs> <laughs>